as you study Scripture, and we go through verse by verse through, through Scripture, you find that, that, that as you go through various books of the Bible, there's some, there's some sections that are, are more doctrinal as far as you, you look at it and there's just major doctrines that come up over and over and over again as you go through passages. And there's, there's other passages that are, are more historical where you'll go through and, and, and you, you look and you can see the history of what's taking place and God's providential hand working mightily as, as he is revealing to us his um, incredible plan of salvation throughout history. There's other sections that are, are more in the, in the line of, of praise. And, and you go through and you could just see how saints who have gone before us have worshipped in the way that the Holy Spirit inspired them to worship. You'll have other sections that are more narrative, where you go through and you can see what was taking place in the life of Christ at that particular time or in the life of Israel. You, you also go through in, in, in certain areas and you'll just see application application that's directed specifically towards us as far as do this. And as we have been going through the first 11 chapters of of Romans, we have seen just incredible doctrines that have been brought forth. I mean, so much of of the first 11 chapters of, of Romans is going through and just teaching us, as we'll look at this morning, so much about who we are and who God is and what the gospel is and how it is that we could be saved. And you go through and it's just incredible to study the weighty doctrines of Scripture where God says, thus saith the Lord, this is who I am, this is who you are, and this is how you can be saved. This is what the church is, and he just goes through and lays it out for us. But we come to a a transition here in, in Romans chapter 12. And we see that we are, are brought to a section that um, brings us to a place of this is how you ought to live. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We will not get through the entirety of these two verses this morning, but I want to begin by looking at the heart of Paul and what he's saying. He comes to the church and begins by saying, I'm I beseech you, I I plead with you, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God or in in view of God's mercies, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You, You think of people who they... Go to church and they, they want application. Bring it down to our level. Make it simple for us. Make it so that I can understand these things. Um, but make it so that it's something of, like, how can I be a better husband? Um, how can we be a stronger family? 
How can I be better in the workplace? Going through and, and, and bringing it to like, okay, here's a practical thing of, of this, is, this is how you should live. Paul, Paul here, he doesn't go that direction. He just simply says, I, I plead with you. In light of the mercies of God, in light of the mercy that God has shown you, present your bodies a living sacrifice. In light, of, in light of God's mercy and what he has done for you, take the entirety of your body, the entirety of your being, your soul, all that you are, and take all of yourself and make it presented to God as a living sacrifice. Not saying, God, you've done so much for me, I'm going to write you a check. God, you've done so much for me, I'm going I'm I'm to go help people who are poor. God, you've done a lot, I'm going to pray every once in a while to you and just give thanks. He, he doesn't say anything like that. He says, I plead with you. In view of the mercies of God, take your body, take every bit of who you are, and then take it and then just lay it before God. He gives us this picture of the sacrificial system where you would have animals in the Old Testament that would be taken and they would be without spot or without blemish and they'd be taken and they'd be killed and they'd be laid down there as a burnt offering, as a sacrificial offering to God. And Paul's just saying, take yourself, your living body, your, your body that exists, your soul, every bit of who you are, and take it, and take it before God in light of the mercies of God, and just lay it before him as a living sacrifice. Take every part of who you are, and lay it before him as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, pleasing to God. It's your reasonable service. It's the only thing that makes sense. It's reasonable in light of the mercies of God that you take yourself and take all of yourself and say, you have it all. You have every part of my being. It's all yours. That's the application. The application is something where some will look at this and say, this is fanatical. This is just fanatical. And the Holy Spirit, as he inspired this, would say, and absolutely it is. In light of the mercies of God, in light of what God has done for you, take every bit of your being and just give it to God. You think of our bodies. You think of our minds. Having our, our minds be that which, which we give to him. Our thoughts. Rather than taking our thoughts and just having them be consumed with the things of this world, which we definitely have a propensity to do. Taking our, our minds that are, are frequently going towards sin, going towards things that aren't pleasing to God, things that aren't holy, things that aren't right, and we take our minds and we start thinking about these things and dwelling on these things and rolling these things over in our minds where you find yourself going throughout a day 
living virtually as an atheist, having very few thoughts about God, but thinking of all secular stuff and all worldly stuff. And God would say, don't do that. Take your bodies, your minds. It's a living sacrifice to me. Your eyes. What is it that your eyes take in? It's important for us to look at this and have it be something that that God uses to speak to our hearts directly, where we look and we say, what, what is it that I see? What is it that I look upon? What is it that I long for? Are we using our eyes in such a way that they're a living sacrifice before God? I don't want to look at that in sin. I don't even want to so much as look at it. I want to look at things that are right. I want to look at things that are good. I want to look at things that are pleasing. Our ears, what we take in. Think of what it is that we listen to. Music that we listen to. We watch on on TV, what we watch at the movie theater. Um, is it holy? Is it pleasing unto him? I try to think of what the church has been like throughout history, and I, I know that, that um, it's hard to say because there's, there's variables throughout all of history. I, I don't know what they did in the very early church, apart from what we see in scripture, I don't know what it is that people looked upon. One of my favorite time periods is that of the Puritans. I, I, I read of them and I read of this, their longings for holiness. The desire, their passionate desire for, for holiness. It, it, it mattered to them so much. J.I. Packer wrote a wonderful book called Rediscovering Holiness. And it just goes back and looks at the life of the Puritans and their passion and their desire to be holy. What they looked upon, what they took in, what they thought about. It, it was geared towards how can, how can we be holy? I read of polls of what's taking place within the church today. And... Largely, there is no distinction between what believers watch on TV, what movies believers go to, Christians go to, versus the world. And the stuff that is there is stuff that we can listen to and take into where we have such a propensity to just get numb to it. Um, you find yourself saying, no, you, should, you should watch this movie. It's, I mean, it's not that bad. There's only this many scenes in it, or there's only this much going on. We, we will preview on a website, like, okay, what is in this movie before we let our kids watch it to, to see what's, what's in there. But I know that my mind frequently has those thoughts, so it's not that bad. When I look at it and I think, what would others that have gone before me thought? about that would there just be incredible blushing that took place and I forgot how to blush would it be that they look at this and think how on earth could you watch this 
times for, for, for me where I'll say, like, oh, I, this, this is a great movie. Honey, we should watch it, you know? And, and because we grew up in different time periods of what people watched on TV between Tasha and I. Um, I'll disclose that. She, I don't think she had ever heard of chips. Ponch and John. I mean, how do you never hear of chips? But I'll tell you about it later, honey. But you, 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 you look and, and, and I'll say, oh, it, it was, this is a good movie. And then we watch it and I'm like, oh, I don't remember any of this. I don't remember any of this being in it. But you think, you think, what is it that we take in? What we listen to, what we see, our mouths, what comes out of our mouths. Look and you think of, are our mouths a a living sacrifice to him? Do we present our mouths and what comes out as a living sacrifice to him? I mean, you could go through and say, what should I be like in the workplace? Or what should I be as a husband? Or what should I be as a, a father? Or what should I be in school? Or what should I be in these other circumstances? And the bottom line is this, is God says, take your, your mouth and be a living sacrifice before God. May it be holy and may it be pleasing unto him. And so you look at it and you say, okay, so what is God calling me to? Is he calling me to be harsh with my wife or harsh with my kids or to gossip over here or to use profanity here or to have it be where I'm brutal with my employees or am I to be just like the world, trying to be like the world? And God would say, absolutely not. Take your mouth, take what comes out of your mouth and may it be a living sacrifice to God, holy pleasing unto him. It's your reasonable service. Take every bit of who you are and make it so it is, God, this is who I am. I repent of everything that I've done that is sin, and God, help me to be pleasing to you in every area of my life, where it's not categorized of, well, this is what I'm like at church, or this is what I'm like at business, but no one sees how I am at home, or no one sees how I am at this particular place. Every bit of us is to be given over to God, where it's, we're not our own, we are bought with a price, we belong to him, and we're to be holy, and pleasing unto him. Paul's just going through and saying, it's just reasonable. In light of the mercies of God, this is reasonable. It's your reasonable service. Our hands, what we do. Are we hard workers? Are we hard workers with our hands? Are our hands being used in such a way to build each other up, to encourage one another? Do we take our hands and use our hands and our time to go and to minister to one another? Our feet, do our feet take us to where we are going to places in which we preach the gospel, we share the gospel, we have our feet take us to places in which we're living sacrifices to him and we belong to him and they're not our own, but they belong to him and they're to be used for his purposes. And I just take the entirety of my being and say, it's all for you, God. Every bit of it is for you. In Romans 6, I'll just read this for you. In verse 10, it says, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. 
Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Take your members, take who you are, your body, the entirety of your being, and take it and present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. To please him. To live for him. Even to your to your final moments. I this morning listened to the last sermon that Pastor Chuck Smith preached before he passed away from the pulpit. And he was on oxygen. Voice wasn't that same thunderous voice that I was used to hearing as a kid. But just going right to, not staggering for us as Christians. Took us to Genesis 4. Faith that we're to have. Abraham, believing that God is able to do what he says he's going to do. Believing it. Even in his last sermon, I read of John Newton, who is known probably in the greatest way of writing the hymn, Amazing Grace. And here's a young man who, as a young boy, went to Africa to participate in the slave trade. He wrote later in his autobiography that the reason why he went was to, quote, sin his fill. Just to go and just sin. He wanted to sin with, with, in, in just its fullness. That's why he went. He, he ended up finding himself a slave as he was there. Ran away. Eventually, thereafter, almost dying, got onto one of the, the ships that transported slaves from the west coast of Africa to the New World. And, and it was there on that ship that he thought he was going to die for sure as he thought the ship was going under. And it was there that God saved him. It was there that God saved him in just an incredible way. So when he says words like amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I mean, he just goes through, it's just, I was a wretch and God saved me. And I read that towards the end of his life, his mind began to fail him and he had to stop preaching. But Friends would come by to visit him, and he would say, I'm an old man, and my mind is almost gone. But I can remember two things. I'm a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. My mind's almost gone, but these are the things I remember. I am 
a great sinner. And God is a great Savior. Finishing his life with people hearing that over and over and over again. I'm a great sinner. He's a great Savior. Look, and our lives are to be like that, where the members of our body are used to, to glorify him for righteousness, pleasing him in all that we do. And you look at this and you see the motivation. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, or some of your translations may say, in light of or in view of the mercies of God. The motivation for it. I beseech you, I plead with you, brethren, in view of the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In light of the mercies of God, we have spent the last, gosh, nearly a couple years studying the first 11 chapters of Romans. Reason being to bring us to a place where we go through Scripture, understand doctrine, understand theology, understand who God is and who we are and what it is that the gospel is and how it is that we might be able to be saved and what God's plan for us is for the future. And you go through, and and Paul, after writing these 11 chapters and going to the people, he just stops and says, okay, now I plead with you. In light of these mercies, in view of the mercies of God, give him all of yourself. Look, in chapter after chapter, we find reasons to do that. In Romans chapter 1, you hear Paul just beginning by saying, talking about Jesus, the one in whom the prophets talked about. The mercies of God, the gospel that was preached from the very beginning, all of it pointing to Christ. He talks to this church, you have been called, you have received grace. He, he tells this church, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of salvation to salvation for everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God to salvation. I'm not ashamed of the best news that anybody could ever hear because it is the power of Almighty God to salvation for everyone who believes. He says, referring to the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. He begins this first chapter in Romans by just going to the people saying, you have been called, you've received grace, this is what God has done for you, here is the gospel, you are able to be saved, and it's not based upon your works, it is totally and completely based on the righteousness of God apart from works being placed upon you, and it comes to everyone who believes. And You can just stop there and say, okay, now in light of that, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to him. In light of the fact that you have been called. 
In light of the fact that you have received grace when you didn't deserve any grace, in light of the fact that here is the gospel, I'm not ashamed of it, it's the power of God to salvation. It's not based upon you, and it's not based upon your keeping of the law. It's based upon him, and it's based upon what he has done. In light of the mercies of God that you have been saved by faith, take your bodies and present them as a living sacrifice to God. Give yourself entirely to him. Chapter 2. It says, for the unbeliever, you've been treasuring up for yourself wrath, indignation, and wrath, and tribulation, and anguish. That God will even judge the secret things of your heart, the sins that nobody else knows about. But for the believer, you have eternal life, glory, honor, immortality, peace. I mean, he just goes through in, the, in chapter 2 and just lays out, for the unbeliever, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath, indignation, wrath, tribulation, anguish. That's what's in store for you, but that's not how it is for the believer. I mean, you could picture the, this, this reservoir that's there of the wrath of God that we have just been storing up for ourselves, and then it just goes right from there to the gospel. To the gospel, to the great gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that for the believer, he says, you have eternal life, glory, immortality, honor, peace, this is what you have. In light of that, in light of the fact that the full reservoir of God's wrath that was to come upon you, all of it was placed upon Christ on the cross. And as a result, you have eternal life and you have honor and you have glory. You have immortality. This is what you have. This is what you've been given. In light of that, take your bodies and just give them to him as a living sacrifice. Just give yourself entirely to him. It's the only reasonable thing to do. You had wrath, a reservoir of wrath that was to come upon you. He absorbed it all for you. So as a result, just give yourself entirely to him. Not just one little compartment of your life, but give yourself entirely to him. What is it that you eat? What is it that you drink? What is it that comes out of your mouth? What is it that your eyes see? What is it that you hear? What is it that, 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 that is how you are in your home and how you are in your workplace? Give yourself entirely to him. It's the only thing that makes sense. It's your reasonable service. In Romans 3, what a chapter. I mean, it just goes through and just tells us who you are. There's none righteous, no, not one. I mean, it just begins by saying, okay, in case you were wondering, in case you look around and you see everybody else around you and you think, oh, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I, I, I hear that so many times. How are you going to get to heaven? I, I, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I'm not like other people. I, I do my best. And God just, just says, let me just destroy that for you. There's none righteous, no, not even one. Not even one of you is righteous. If you think that you're smart, if you think that you understand, he says in verse 11, there's none who understands. If you're there and you're saying, I'm looking for God, I'm, I'm, I've been searching, I'm a searcher. God just says, no, there's, there's none who seeks after God. I mean, just so you know, if you want to know what you're like, you look and you think that you're okay, you think that you're all right, you think, ah, oh, you know, like, I just, I'm trying my best to find him. I mean, he's hard to find, and I'm looking, and, you know, like, if he made it easier for me to find him, I'd find him for sure, but I'm doing my best, and I think all roads kind of lead to heaven, and, uh, you know, I'm one of those people, like, I'm not going to say anything bad about any other religion, because they all kind of go there, and I'm on my own path, and to me, God is like this, and God just says, absolutely not, there's not one of you that ever sought after me. 
Not one of you. Your depravity is so great that you never would have the inclination to say, I just want to go to Christ apart from the Holy Spirit drawing you. Apart from him opening your eyes. Apart from him and his Holy Spirit doing that work in your life. Making you born again. You never would have gone to see him. He makes it so clear. Just There is none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They've together become unprofitable. There's none who does good. No, not one. I mean, just the emphasis. There's not even one of you who does good. You, you might look at it and say, well, I've done good things. And God just says, it, it was only for your own glory. It wasn't for the glory of God. And your goodness is like a drop in the ocean in comparison to the goodness of God. You have nothing. There's nothing that you have that makes it so that you earn one little ounce of favor from me because you are dead in your sins and trespasses. You're a sinner in desperate need of grace. And there's no way that you can save yourself. It is only by the very righteousness of God that can save you. It's not you. And he just lays it out for us. If there's any of us that look and say, like, oh, I, just, I think I've earned it. I mean, he just says, there's no fear of God in their eyes. They don't fear me. They don't love me. They don't desire for me. They have none of that. In fact, as a result of the law, every mouth will be stopped and all the world will become guilty before God. Every mouth will be stopped. For you who think, well, I'll get there. I could talk my way into anything. I mean, I just got to reason with him when I get there. God just says, absolutely not. Your mouth will be stopped. You're guilty before him. And then it just shifts as well as it, it closes there, that section. by Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. And then the next verse continues by saying, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. You just look at it, it's like the best verse that you could ever hear after hearing about your depravity is the news. But now there's something different. You you could go and you could try your hardest to live for him. You could try your hardest to obey the law. You could try your hardest in whatever religion that you have. You could try your hardest to build up good karma. You could try your hardest to not kill animals or to step on insects. You could try your hardest to obey the five pillars of Islam. You could try your hardest to obey the laws presented in Judaism. You could try your hardest to do all the works that you're supposed to do within Mormonism. You could try your hardest in whatever religion it is, even in Christianity itself. You could try your hardest to go to church and to get baptized and to go to CCD or to to go and, 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 and do whatever it is that you think that you're supposed to do to earn favor with God. And God will just go before you and say, By the deeds of the law, nobody is going to be justified. And then he takes us from there to say, but now there's a righteousness of God apart from the law. You just think of like the righteousness of God, the one who fulfilled all righteousness, Christ himself, who is there in the heavens, who has done everything perfectly from the very beginning of time, who has been without sin, who is our mediator, who is our savior, who says, I will take my righteousness and place it upon your account. You got nothing, and I'll take my righteousness and place it upon your account. And it will come, tells us, to all and on all who believe. To all and on all who believe. 
you just look at that and, and you could sit here this morning as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and say, that's me, that's me. He just said, that's me. I believe. My only hope in this life is that Christ is my savior. My only hope in this life is that my sins were placed upon him and that his righteousness was placed upon me. That's my only hope in this life is that Christ Jesus, the son of God, my Lord and my savior died for me so that my sins could be removed. That's me. I believe that. And then you can be here this morning and hear that and say, okay, so now the very righteousness of God has been placed upon your account to where when God sees you, he doesn't see you in all of your sin. He sees you with the righteousness of God to where you take any member of our church, even Kelly Dunn. Just kidding, Kelly. Kelly picks on me all the time, and so I'm just going to pick on him for a second. You take Kelly Dunn. You take Chris Means. Take Scott Wilson. Go around the room. Take Kevin Otsuji. You just look and say, he will never see any one of us as more righteous than he does right now. And think about it. When you have been there for a billion years in heaven with not one sinful thought because you're in heaven, he will not see you as more righteous then than he does now when you're so prone to wander. Why? Because you don't have your own righteousness at all. That's on your account. It's the very righteousness of God that's been placed upon you. Therefore, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to him. It's not so that you can earn heaven. It's not so that you can do something to earn favor with God. In the light of the fact that he has placed his righteousness upon you, just take yourself and say, okay, I deserve wrath and you gave me righteousness. I'm yours. I'm yours. Every part of my being is yours, both now and for all eternity. It's the only reasonable thing I can do. It's not to pay you back. It's not to pay you back. It's not because you've done so much and I just want to pay you back. I can't pay you back anything. In light of the fact that you have placed your righteousness upon me, I am a living sacrifice. May I be holy and pleasing to you. May the things that come out of my mouth be holy and pleasing to you. May the way I am with my family be holy and pleasing to you. The way that I repent to them, the way that I am in my workplace, may it all be holy and pleasing to you. The way I am to my parents, may I be holy and pleasing to you. It's the only reasonable thing that I can do because I don't have any righteousness and you gave me all of it. The implications of that is just, oh, when, when, when you die and you enter immediately into the presence of God and your breath is filled with joy that's indescribable, the joy of the Lord, and you see him in his glory and you're looking upon him and you're approaching his throne boldly and you have an inheritance, and you are an heir, you are a son, you've been adopted into his family, and you go before him with all the other saints, and you're clothed with robes of righteousness, and you're able to spend eternity with him. In that moment when you do that, you're just going to look and say, it was the only reasonable thing for me to do, to just take myself and say, I'm all yours. I didn't deserve any of this. I have not earned my way. I am all of yours. You've done it all. And it's an act of worship now that we live for him in light of the fact that he has poured his mercy upon us. You see, in chapter 4, he's just going through, Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. It wasn't by works that Abraham was saved. He believed God. It was through faith. David 
says he talked about the blessedness of the man in whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Way back with David, David just saying, how blessed is the man in whom God imputes righteousness. He takes his righteousness and imputes it upon the man. How blessed is that man? He goes through in, in Romans 4, 7, and 8 and says, This is what David says. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Oh, how blessed is the man in whom there's not that covering of sin, but instead there is righteousness that's there for you. In chapter 5, he goes through and just again, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God. I mean, when you, when you picture people who are crying out for the rocks to fall on them, the mountains to fall on them, and to hide them from the face of the Lord God Almighty who is their judge, and then you, you look at us and, and we enter into heaven and we have peace with him. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you have peace with him that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice to him. Just give the entirety of your being unto him. Romans 5 tells us that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. When we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't when you were good that he died for you, but when you were still a sinner, he died for you. He wants us to be able to see the incredible mercies of God. It wasn't that he's looking upon you going, oh man, they they deserve this. They deserve better than eternity in hell. They deserve better than that. What can I do? I I need them. You, You get none of that in scripture at all. Rather, you see, you weren't seeking me, you weren't desiring, but by the grace of God, when you were still a sinner, I died for you. And so now he tells us, I plead with you. I plead with you in light of the mercy of God that God saved you when you were still a sinner, he died for you. Take yourself and just give yourself in your entirety to him. Romans 5, 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Oh, the weight of a verse like that. I mean, having been justified by his blood, having our sins placed upon him, having the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ as he hung upon the cross, took our wrath that we deserved upon himself. He has made it so that you are saved from wrath. Those three words, saved from wrath. How? Through him, through Christ. In light of that, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to him. You've been saved from the wrath of Almighty God, the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Not only that, but he tells us in verse 20, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. However much sin is there, grace is way bigger than your sin. If you sit here and say, I'm just, I've done too much. There's no way he'd ever save me. Oh, look again at the cross. And we'll, God forbid us to have thoughts from having thoughts that say, oh, 
what you did on the cross, Jesus, was so good, but surely it was not good enough for me in my sin. The creator of this universe becoming a man and becoming the least of all men and taking the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God upon himself and looking upon that and just saying, it has to be enough. Where sin abounded, grace abounded. What? Much more. In Romans 6, you just see where he just says, you were united in the likeness of his death. When he died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he rose again, you rose again. You found in him. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. You're found in him. Romans 7, you hear Paul and say, what am I doing? I don't understand what I will to do. I don't practice what I hate that I do. Oh, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I don't find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. And many of you here, myself included, find yourself saying those same things. What am I doing? I mean, you say this and present your bodies as living sacrifices, and I just fail so miserably. What am I doing? I want to be like this at home. I want to be like this in the workplace. I want to be like this with my friends. I want to be like this with my parents. I want to be a light on my campus. What am I doing? The things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I hate, the things I despise, the things that I look at other people and hate, it's that that I'm doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And the response is, I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, he will save me from this body of death. So present your bodies as a living sacrifice to him. Romans 8 begins, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. You'll never know condemnation. You'll never hear the words guilty. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In fact, He just tells us even the difficult things that we go through in this life, they're not even worthy to be compared with the glory that's following. He tells us that he works all things together for good to those who are the called. I'll I'll work everything together for good. He tells us those I foreknew I also predestined to be conformed to the image of of, of his son. Moreover, those he predestined, these he called. And whom he called, these he justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. Showing us, you're secure in him. It's not based upon, I started out with him by grace, and now I'm trying to do it on my own. No, he says, if, if, you, were, if you were called, the result is, you're going to be justified. If you are predestined, you're going to be called. If you're called, you're going to be justified. If you're justified, you are glorified. It will happen. And then he just begins to, to go from there to say, like, what do we say to this? What do we, how do we respond? What do we respond with when we hear God say things like this? If God's for us, who could be against us? If he didn't spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who, who should bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died. Furthermore, is also risen, who's even at the right hand of God, and who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to 
come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God who called you and predestined you before he ever created this world. And he assures you that if he gave you his own son, will he not also freely give you all things? And then he tells us in light of the mercies of God that it's not based upon you, but it's based upon him and his faithfulness. When you're faithless, he does it. He's adopted you. As a result, take yourselves and just give yourself to him as a living sacrifice. It's the only reasonable thing to do. He will keep you to the end. He assures you of that. Not only that, but he'll work in you. He will work all things together for good in you. He is your savior and he is your friend and he is your Lord and he is the sovereign God of this universe. So Give yourselves to him in its entirety. That is the application. Give yourselves to him. Take your bodies. Bring it before him. Every part of you. Chapter 9 just goes through and exalts the sovereignty of God. Where it just goes through and he says, I called them my people who were not my people. And her beloved who were not beloved. It shall come, it shall come and to pass in the place where I said to them, you are not my people. And they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also says, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. I am going to do this. In Romans 9, 29, unless the Lord of the, of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have become like Gomorrah. But that's not the case. The sovereign hand of God has preserved a remnant for himself and he's been faithful to do it and he'll continue to do it. And we look around in this room and we see those who were of Israel who continue to be a remnant, and, 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 and it's that seed that just continues. Believers who, who have come to know Christ, not only that, but Gentiles who have been grafted in, and we see this remnant of God's people who are here before us in the faithfulness of God and his sovereignty that has done this, that brings us to a place of saying, all glory and all honor belongs to you for my salvation because you did this. You, did, you elected me. You chose me. You make that clear in Scripture to where here's my body. It is a living sacrifice to you. I'm, I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. You called me before the, even the foundations of this world. I'm all yours. Not just a part of me. I am all yours. Chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then we just look and we see over and over again. Romans 11, the remnant, according to the election of grace, that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. And so now we look and we say, brothers and sisters, Paul says, I plead with you. In light of this theology that just exalts Christ and his greatness and his sovereignty and his faithfulness and his grace, and that shows the wickedness of us in, in light of the mercies in which God has shown us, take yourself and be a living sacrifice to him. Holy, pleasing, acceptable to him. It is your reasonable service. Incredible application for us this morning. Look at your life and say, is that the way that I think, or do I write a check saying, ah, I, gotta, I should do this? I should probably go help some people. Every once in a while, I should pray. Maybe I'll put some worship songs on every once in a while. 
Or is it that we look and say, God, help me just to be a light today. Help me to minister to my family as the head of my household. Help, help me to be just such a light to my unbelieving spouse. Or may, may I be just a light to the unbelievers at work. Or just use me at school for your glory. Use me on my soccer team. Use me on my baseball team. Use me in whatever it is. Just use me. Cause me to be a light. Cause me to glorify you in everything that I say and what I take in. All that comes out of me, may it all exalt you. My life is yours. You purchased me. You've done these things. In the light of the mercy of God, I'm all yours. And that is the application. Fanatical? Yeah. He's worthy of every ounce of our emotion, our being, our energy, our time. And may such a life exalt him. Exalt him to this world around us that thinks that he is worth nothing. God help us to never bring reproach upon the name of Christ by living in such a way as if he means nothing to us. He ought to mean everything to us. And may we respond by taking our bodies and saying, I am all yours. Use me as you will for the purposes of your kingdom and for your glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for just this simple section of scripture that is so profound to us. May we listen to the plead of the Apostle Paul as he's been inspired by the Holy Spirit as Christians. So take our lives, our bodies, and just lay them before you as a living sacrifice. If there's areas of our lives that have been unholy, Lord, change them. May we be pleasing unto you. May you work in us towards that end. We depend upon you to do that, Lord. Please, by your enabling, cause us to daily lay our lives down as a living sacrifice before you. And may you receive all the glory for it. Be glorified as we come to you now in worship specifically in communion, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.